Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, we welcome you again. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, today is our Friends Day, and it's exciting when friends come and gather with us, and we thank you for doing that, and we hope that you being here is an encouragement to you just as you are to us. We want to thank Doug Williams and all that he has done as the deacon that leads a ministry we call our SAVE ministry, which is surrounding all visitors with encouragement. And one aspect of that ministry is Friends Day. And he leads that ministry in a very capable fashion uh, every week, that this ministry is active every week. And he does that in a tremendous way, but especially this Friends Day. So we had 1,041 this morning. And we want to commend each of you that made invitations and each of you that prayed and each that did what you could do uh, to encourage others to come and and to be a part of today and to hear uh, the, the lesson from God's Word that would encourage someone to think about being the best friend that they could be, and that being a Christian friend. Also, we uh, want to rejoice with Faye Lloyd as she studied, and, and any of you that know Faye know that that is a dedicated woman. She's dedicated to God. She is a student of God's Word. And I admire anyone that's willing to look carefully at their life and if they need to make changes, to make those changes. And recently, as she studied uh, more about the plan of salvation and etc., she began to really have doubts about her baptism uh, when she was a teenager. And so this week, she was baptized into Christ, and we rejoiced with her, and we're so thankful for that family. That's really the challenge for all of us. What are you going to do the next time you read in the Scriptures and you see a change that needs to be made in your life, whatever it is? That's the real test of our faith, is we're willing to make changes wherever that needs to be made. We had a wonderful weekend this weekend here. Last, um, yesterday morning, uh, there were about 80 folks gathered for a breakfast that was hosted here by the, some of the members of the Mount Juliet Congregation. About 80 of you came, and there was over $11,100 given to help the orphans in this work. And so each of you that had a part of that, uh, we say thank you. And to Jeff Fortner and to Eric McGreevy that leads on a, on a regular basis our orphans ministry, uh, we're thankful for them and the continual efforts that they make to place opportunities before us to help orphans. Also, we want to be prayerful and mindful of the fact that we have 20 of our number away uh, all this coming week. They, they left this weekend. Uh, many of them left Friday or Saturday, and they're going to be working all week in Mississippi this week and trying to uh, help rebuild some homes for individuals there. And also in our prayers and any opportunities that we have, we need to be mindful of the people locally that have experienced tremendous losses just in the last few days. When Queen Victoria ruled in London... There was a woman named Martha Vincent that was very ill. Doctor came to her aid and he was very surprised at what he found. She was very poor. She was very hungry, malnourished, and she had no fire to heat her home. She didn't have enough clothes to keep herself warm. She began to question, where's your family? He began to question, where's your family? And she explained that her husband had abandoned her and she had no other family. And then he said... Do you have any friends? And a very long, sad look came across her face. She said, no, I don't have friends. They talked for a few more minutes and then she said, you know, 
there was a time in my life that I had one friend. She was the best friend I ever had. It was during our childhood years. He pressed her to see who this friend might be, hoping that she would be benevolent to this old childhood friend. Finally, she told him, It's the queen herself. Queen Victoria and I were good friends, but I haven't seen her in years. He was reluctant to believe it, but yet when he went home, he thought, I might as well try. He wrote a letter to her. He explained the situation and he sent that letter to the queen. Within the next week, he received a large sum of money in the mail asking him to look after her childhood friend. What a blessing. Her life was spared because of an old friend. Isn't it neat to think about the blessings that come from friendships? For this woman to be able to say, I was a friend of the queen, and how there were blessings that came from that. Maybe you have friends that you've had for a long time, and and you could very easily right now get out a piece of paper, and you could list on that piece of paper the names of those friends and the blessings that they've been into your life. But tonight... We're going to think about the most important friend that's ever been offered to any of us. And that's God. Can you say tonight that you are a friend of God? Some have said it's the greatest compliment that's ever been given to mortal man. And it was given to Abraham. About three times in the scriptures, Abraham is called a friend of God. No one else has given that description. Now, I'm not suggesting to you no one else has been a friend to God, but isn't it amazing that Abraham can hold that compliment in a unique fashion, that he's the only one in the Holy Writ that was described as a friend of God. Tonight, I hope you have your Bible. I hope you'll turn to James, the second chapter. We won't have slides this evening. And let's study together one of the texts where... It is described of this great man Abraham as being a friend of God. In James' the second chapter, we're going to begin reading tonight in the middle of a paragraph. We'll do that on purpose because at the end of this lesson, we're going to come back and go to the application that is in the first part of this paragraph, which will begin back in 14. But for right now, we're going to read in James' the second chapter, beginning at 19. This is the portion of James where he's dealing with the topic of whether we can have faith without works. And so we begin with this topic in verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith? was made perfect, or in other words, that could also read, by works, his faith was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now that's a quote from the Old Testament that we'll study in just a moment. But then he gives another quote from another Old Testament scripture, and he says, and he was called. The friend of God. What a blessing to be called the friend of God. What was it about Abraham's faith and what was it about his works that completed his faith so that he could be described as a friend of God? Turn with me, Will, back to Genesis, the 12th chapter. In Genesis, the 12th chapter, and as we're turning there, I want to remind you of what James said. First, James gave the illustration of him being willing to offer his son upon the altar. 
We'll study that in just a moment. But also he said that there was something that he did that he was accounted as righteous. And then there was something in that that was quoted from the Old Testament that because of this he was called a child of God. So let's see these two and then we'll go back up to the idea that he was willing to give his son upon the altar. Now when we see in Genesis the 12th chapter, we see a great promise that is made to Abraham. But we see that this promise comes with a great request. I want you to keep in mind that Abraham was probably a very wealthy man. We would assume with his wealth would come a lot of land, a lot of possessions. And God has no problem asking us to do great things. God has no problem asking us to sacrifice great things. And that's exactly what we studied this morning. That as friends, we have to be willing to sacrifice. Well, here we're going to see that if God is going to be our friend, we have to be willing to sacrifice for God also. And so God's going to ask Abraham to move. Leave all of this. Leave your family behind and move. The question for us by application Are we willing to make such moves in our life? Let's notice this as we begin reading in the 12th chapter in verse 1. If we were to drop back earlier, we would see back in the 11th chapter, the 27th verse and on, that he was in the land of Ur. And now we see in the 12th chapter in verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. You see, that was the command, the request for him to move. Look at this promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And so we see that he was willing to do what God asked. He was willing to pick up and no doubt leave behind at least a portion of the possessions, at least the land. No doubt leaving behind much of the family. Isn't it interesting sometimes how we become so tied to relationships on earth that we think God would never ask us to sacrifice a relationship on earth for a relationship with Him? And we see here at the beginning of the Bible, God saying, you leave your family behind here. I have a journey that I want you to take and it's going to require the rest of your life. He was asking you to move for good. Now, along with this move came a promise. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a great name. And I'm going to let your lineage bring about Jesus Christ that's going to be a blessing to all nations. And so as we go into the 13th chapter, we see that he's given that land of Canaan. As we go into the 14th chapter of Genesis, we see that Lot has problems and he has to be rescued. Once he is rescued, we come to the 15th chapter. And by this time, Abraham and Sarah still do not have a child. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to be the father of a great nation if they do not have descendants. And so it's here that... Abraham offers up the suggestion that maybe this descendant is going to come through his servant, Eleazar. And here God tells him, absolutely not. Let's begin reading in verse 4. And behold, the word, this is Genesis the 15th chapter. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. In other words, it's not going to be that servant. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now let's pause right here before we read this next verse that was quoted in James. 
Lord, I'm 75 years old and counting. My wife has passed the childbearing years. You're telling me you've given us this land for us to be the father of a great nation. And Lord, we can't have children. Where would your faith be? Notice Abraham's faith as we read verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. So when James chooses to write about faith and works, James chooses to quote this very exact verse. And when we put it back in his context, it's powerful. James says, you want to talk about faith and works? Let me show you an individual that we can see a tremendous faith. We can see a man that he and his wife were past those childbearing years. But yet, when God told him, you're going to bring about many descendants, he would say, I believe God. That's what faith is. When we can believe what God says, even though physically we cannot see with our own vision how it could ever take place. Friends, I can't imagine everyone that's ever lived standing before Jesus on the day of judgment. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine it. We have today on this earth six billion people. I can't imagine everybody that's ever lived. I can't imagine that everybody that's alive today and everybody that'll live in the future standing before the Lord on the day of judgment. I can't see that with my own eyes, but I believe by faith it's going to happen. I can't see with my eyes heaven. I can't imagine what a city would look like that man did not build. I can't imagine a city that doesn't have a calendar or a clock or a hospital or a cemetery. But I believe it's there. I can't really imagine exactly what God will look like as we bow and worship Him on His throne. But I believe He's worthy of it. And that we will do that one day. Friends, if we live by our physical vision, we cannot have the faith that James is speaking of to be a friend of God. Because to be a friend of God, we have to start living by a vision that is focused through faith. Faith that will cause us to do works that's far greater than what we ever thought, imagined. For 25 years, he waited for this son. But before we leave this, let's go to that passage. And we're going to come right back to Genesis. So you may want to hold your finger here. But if you want to go over to Second Chronicles, in Second Chronicles, the 19th chapter, we're going to see the reference that ties right in to this idea that he was promised a land. And it was by faith that he went to that land. And it was his works and obedience that he went to that land. And now, years later... We have Jehoshaphat that was wanting to do the right thing. He was wanting to serve God, but he was surrounded by enemies. And he wanted the people to not give up. And he wanted to remind them that God has done powerful things in the past. Why couldn't he continue to do powerful things today? If we were scanning a few verses here in 2 Chronicles 20, look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful heart? When Jehoshaphat can say, listen, we need God. 
We're going to fast. We're going to pray. And we're going to seek out God's will. And I want the whole city to do that. I want the whole city to be a city that is seeking out God's will. And so it's in this that he reminds the people of some tremendous things of the past. And read verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Jehoshaphat believed in that same God that Abraham believed in. A God that could tell Abraham, I'll give you this land. I'll make you the father of a great nation. And he says, you're a friend of Abraham because of his faith and his works. And it's implied here, I want to be that kind of friend to you also, God. I want to receive that kind of blessing also. Now, to go back to the illustration that James used in James the second chapter, if you will, turn back with me to Genesis and let's go to the 22nd chapter. Genesis 22. As we look in Genesis 22, we see that touching story. It's the story where finally now, after waiting 25 years, Isaac is born. Then Isaac is growing into a young man. And God decides to test Abraham's faith. Now keep in mind, this illustration is given in the paragraph where James writes, trying to convince individuals that faith without works is dead. And active works completes faith. And so if we talk about I'm faithful, what the Lord wants to know is not do we say we're faithful, but do our works complete our faith? And so it's in this setting that that James says, let's use the example of Abraham. And let's see a man that had faith, a faith where he would move his family as God asked. But he's also a man that his works would prove that faith. And so it is in this chapter in Genesis 22 that the Lord asked him, to go into a land, to the land of Moriah, and offer his son, this is in verse 2, as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I tell you. So he rose up early the next morning in verse 3, and he began to split the wood and load the donkey and have two servants to go along with him. And he awakes his son to go with him, and they begin their three-day journey. And finally he sees the mountain in the distance. In verse 5, Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. As they climbed the mountain, it's there that Isaac asked what must have been a difficult question. Where is the sacrifice? And here Abraham tells his son, The Lord will provide. Verse 9 is so hard to imagine. Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. And then he put wood in order. And then he bound Isaac his son. And he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand. And he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad and do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Skip down to verse 16 and said, 
By myself I've sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessings I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants, as the stars of the heaven as the sand which are on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Notice this ending. Because you have obeyed my voice. Friends, when we look to the story of Abraham, there's something that rings loud and clear. Abraham had a tremendous faith to believe what he could not see. And that led him to do tremendous works that most of us would say, I cannot imagine doing. I would suggest to you that in a younger age, you could probably ask Abraham, Abraham, would you ever be able to do this? And he would have probably said, I can't imagine doing that. How did Abraham do it? Abraham did it because he had matured in faith to the degree that he believed that if God asked him to do something, it didn't have to make sense. He was going to obey God believing that it would always be the best thing to do. We make serious mistakes in our life when we begin to try to reason God's commands out of our lives. Let's go back now and put a, a, a quick just bullet summary on this, placing this story back in the context of James the second chapter. Let's look now at verse 14 and see how all this ties in and why James would use this as an illustration. Verse 14, he asked Tremendous question. What does it profit? We're in James 2, beginning of 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Notice the word profit there. What good does it do? Someone says, oh, I'm a faithful Christian. We see it in the workplace. We hear it among friends. Oh, yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a devout Christian. But yet they don't live it. Maybe we're guilty of saying it, but yet we don't live it. And you know, we have a term for that. And it's a term that's found in the Scriptures. It's called hypocrite. And so James writes and he says, what about those hypocrites? Really, what does it profit? How many times have you seen individuals in church says, I really hope we can get some more hypocrites here. They really make things better at church. Oh, we have a great Bible class. The only thing we need is more hypocrites in our Bible class. It really makes a better Bible class. Oh, what we need in our youth group? We have enough good kids. What we need are hypocrites. That would be such a blessing to our youth group. Can you imagine? That's why James asked, what is the profit? What's the benefit? What is the blessing? And of course we know the answer is absolutely nothing. It's a detriment to the example of Christ and to the, the, the momentum of doing good things. When people come in and say, oh yes, yes, I'm faithful Christian. And then their works prove just the opposite. And then James takes it one step further. That's a huge step. He says, not only do you need to answer the question, what does it profit? You need to answer the question, can that person be saved? Now, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. I need to think about that. In other words, by this question, James is implying absolutely not. Someone can't talk the talk and live a life that's contrary to it and then think some way that God's going to save them just because they said the right thing. What the Lord wants is for our faith to be complete by our works. In other words, our works proves that we are faithful. And so we read on now in 15, an example that he gives. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. 
but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here we have someone that's in need of food. And yet someone comes along and they can say the right things. Oh, isn't it a shame that you're hungry? Isn't it a shame that you're in need? I tell you what, brother, before we leave, let's have a prayer and let's pray that God would give you the things you need. And that person delivers an eloquent prayer. And that person stands up and puts their shoulders back in their chest and say, Wow, I'm a faithful person. Oh, by the way, see you, brother. Hope things get better. And walk off. And the Lord says, You think that's faith and works? Look again to that summary there in 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's no profit to that. Our works has to complete our faith. And so then we have this teaching in 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And then gives an illustration that ought to chill us to our bones. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons can say, there's one God. Even the demons can say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The truth is, because the demons lie, they can say anything. They could say they were faithful Christians. They're liars. And you know how it's proven? Their works does not complete their faith. Tonight, if everything that I've done and said this past week was rolling on the big screen, with my actions and with my words... Complete my faith? Or would I be scared to death of what people would think? Tonight, if my MySpace was rolling on the screen right now, would it complete my faith? The conversations that are posted with your friends. Would it complete your faith or would it prove that you're in the same category as the demons? Cheap talk. And that's it. Tonight, if our computers could go back and replay everything they've had displayed on their monitors the last few weeks and months, would our works prove our faith? If every conversation, would it be filled with gossip and lies? Or would it prove our faith? The reason Abraham could be called a friend of God was because his works truly proved his faith. And James uses one of the best examples in the Scriptures to simply say, we better think about it. We're either in the category with guys like Abraham, or we're in the category with demons. There's not a lot of gray in between here.
There's a lot of people that I love dearly that I'm glad to say I'm their friend. A lot of you sitting right here. I don't know how you grow that close to people in six and a half years, but I give my life for you gladly. But you know what? I could list a hundred people that I'm glad to be their friend, but if I can't say I'm a friend of God, it doesn't matter if I can list a hundred or a thousand. If I can't say I'm a friend of God, I've missed it all. I've missed it all. Tonight, let's make sure that before we leave here, that God knows where we stand. Let's make sure that we know where we stand. Let's make sure that we've made our loyalties very clear. We're a friend of God. Our works proves our faith. Our faith is completed by our works. If you've never been baptized into Christ, what a blessing He offers us to have the remission of sins. If you have been baptized into Christ and things have separated you from your God. Maybe you've chosen some works that aren't appropriate. They're they're wrong. Tonight would be a wonderful time to say, I'm coming home. I want God as my friend. You need to repent, confess. Let's pray forgiveness. Let's all leave here. The greatest friendship that's ever been offered to us. Friend of God. If we can help you in any-